My guest today is Ben Jackson, an international award-winning magician who was one of the youngest magicians to win first place at the World Magic Seminars International Close-Up Magic Competition in Las Vegas, Nevada. He's also been featured on NBC Today's alongside David Copperfield and won first place in the People's Choice Award and the Medal of Merit, an honor that has only been awarded seven times since 1902. He has an awesome story and many other awards you can check out on his website, benjacksonmagic.com. Ben joins me on my podcast to break down his journey with magic and how we can all learn to think like a magician. Because, as you'll hear him say at the very end, a magician can give someone the reminder that the world is full of possibilities and that nothing is impossible. I really hope you enjoy this episode. It's been awesome for me to speak with a magician and learn exactly that. How do we think like a magician and remind ourselves that when we're thinking and living out of a state of possibility and awe and wonder, we're also functioning and living in a state of health and possibility and living a lot more fluid and empowering life rather than a stressed one. Take care and enjoy. Ben Jackson, thank you for taking your time to come and speak with me on my podcast today. Solomon, happy to be here. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, to start, I'd, I'd love to share that uh, my podcast is, is generally aimed around whole health, holistic health, you know, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And I've always been a fan of magic growing up. And I've watched a little of your videos and listened to your TED talk. Haven't had a chance yet uh, to, to see a show, given the circumstances. Um, sure. But nevertheless, one thing I wanted to incorporate and have you as a guest on my podcast is because I find or I found your, your TED talk on like thinking like a magician. And that was like eight years ago. But then the yeah. different messages and, and things that you share is very, I think, very adaptable to also just mental health. Because when somebody is in a state of uh, surprise, in a state of wonder and curiosity, the mind is almost like open and in a place of receivership and able to make a lot more connections because then the brain, the person is is in a present moment. They're watching your tricks as opposed to you know, worrying about something that happened or may happen. And so that's the connection I, I wanted to make as far as if anybody's curious. And if you're curious, you know, what's a magician doing on a, a health podcast? Sure. But uh, just to get started, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, your background, how you got into magic and, you know, all the different things that kind of unfolded in, in your journey to that led you to you know, the very well-known magician you are today. Oh, yeah. Well, I appreciate you thinking of me and, and contributing to the podcast. Yeah. I I think I have a story that's very similar to a lot of magicians. I was about eight years old visiting some family friends in Kansas, a young, impressionable kid. And every year we'd make this yearly pilgrimage out to Lawrence, Kansas to spend some time with our family friends, the Sampsons. Sorry about that. I'll talk to you later. I'm on with Solomon right now. I'm on with Solomon. Golly. 
Anywho, we would make this um, trip out to see our family friends, the Sampsons, for Thanksgiving. And after Thanksgiving Day dinner, we all gather around the dining room table. And my dad's good buddy, Blaine Sampson, uh, who was not a magician, he was, um, you know, he's a magic enthusiast, lover of magic, and, and a hobbyist, and an amateur performer who knew a couple of great routines. Anyway, he busted out a deck of cards after dinner, and it absolutely blew me away. He took my brain out of my skull, put it in a blender, and hit frappe. That's how I felt. It was fantastic. And it wasn't just something that, uh, you know, that fooled the kids. You know, he got, he got one over on the kids. He got one over, in the, over the entire room. And at that point, I'm like, gosh, my parents are the smartest people in the world, and they don't know how it's done. And so if I had to pinpoint a moment in time when, when my fascination with magic began, that's it jaw open, brain in a blender, and then ultimately denied by Mr. Samson when I asked him the question, how did you do that? And that was how that journey got started. Um, I kind of had a passive interest about magic. I would pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. And then it didn't really rekindle and take a big hold of me until I was about 15 years old. And I was in the lunchroom in high school, freshman in high school, I saw this guy in my geometry class doing a card trick for a couple of my fellow students. And I walked up to him after he was done and I said, hey man, I couldn't help but notice that was a pretty nice Elmsley count. Was that a Hoffman pass? And I'm dropping code on him. So he's like, ah, you're speaking the language. You know what's going on. Okay, you're one of us. And, uh, and we kind of formed this friendly, not rivalry, but just a, a bond, a friendship of trying to improve our techniques that we would know. And he really, he was mainly the teacher in that situation. He gave me a lot of resources, a lot of books, a lot of videotape to say, hey, like there's some great learning tools out there. And, and that was fun. So man, I would spend hours and hours, day in, day out, in front of my mirror at my house and just working on sleight of hand. And, 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 I, and I talk about, I have a monthly, monthly one-man show at the Four Seasons Hotel where I play the piano in the show. And I educate the audience to say that when people think about magic, oftentimes they, they kind of dismiss the skill that's required to be a magician. People say, ah, oh, you know, magicians, you buy your talent. You go to the magic store, you buy the prop, you buy the gizmo, you buy the gadget. But it's actually very similar to a musician. Uh, musicians, they sit at the piano bench, they practice the scales, hours and hours and hours. The magician stands in front of the mirror at his house and he works on his technique for hours and hours and hours. But as opposed to a musician who can appreciate the sound of his or her own music, magic has to rely on an audience. There's no magic otherwise. As much as I love to practice, it's hard for me to maintain that level of enthusiasm when I'm standing in front of my mirror at my house and saying, oh, how'd that happen? Yeah. You know, do it again. <laughs> so that's, that's, why, uh, that's why magic is such a, a unique art form is that uh, it requires an audience to be appreciated. And, and, and also what's so interesting too is that as opposed to a musician or let's say a juggler, their skill is on display. It's always evident, you know? Yeah. How do we know if a juggler's good? Well, he's juggling, he's juggling eight chainsaws and he's not dropping any of them. 
But with magic, it's like we work so hard to conceal the skill. Mm -hmm. We conceal all the nitty gritty knuckle busting maneuvers and things that no one should detect, let alone suspect. Mm -hmm. And and that's why uh, that's why sometimes I think magic is is not as visible. It's not as a, as appreciated as an art form simply because some people don't know the ins and outs. It's only something like when I when I, when I was dating my my uh, my girlfriend now wife. Her appreciation with magic only grew when I brought her behind the curtain, so to speak, and I showed mm -hmm. her some of the methods of magic the technique, the psychology, the misdirection, the showmanship, all of these building block elements. And when you are unveiled to that information, mm -hmm. you go, wow, I didn't know it was so complex. Yeah. It was so fascinating. Anyway, I'm kind of going on. A, no, on no, a, it's awesome. I, I think I, I almost want to compare it as well to some kind of line of work that I'm in, which is coaching in that hmm. the, when you're working with a client, uh, or even with a psychologist, like a psychologist working with a client, you know, you can't be so upfront with somebody. You have to almost kind of conceal the, the kind of tricks and how do you to, to teach them something to deliver a certain type of information. Uh, so I find it really, really uh, cool all that you're saying you're you're and you, you gave the talk about the uh, concealing the complexity. So what what did you notice? Or what what grabbed your inspiration or your attention growing up in magic that that built to you know eventually become coming uh, into a career because i i heard a conversation a podcast you were talking about you originally in um some line of i think uh, medicine um and then the, the whole kind of transition and i'd love to hear a little bit more about you know that what drew you into magic and and just to keep going with it and and to pursue it yeah well, I wish it were more of a colorful story. It's, it's not super exciting. <laughs> but um, sure it is think, more I so think, now when you can see it from a vantage point. Yeah, I think one of the things that drew me into magic, um, especially close up magic, which is the mm. type of magic that I perform. I, I specialize in, in visual sleight of hand magic, theatrical, emphasis on theatrical mind reading and improv comedy in my show. Uh, so I wanna make sure that my audiences are wowed, they're engaged, it's a high energy program and they're laughing the whole way through. That's always clean and, and nothing that's racy or bluish material or anything that would offend anybody. So that's the, that's the type of magic that I, that I perform. And I think that I initially fell in love with the manipulative sleight of hand based magic when I was 13 years old and I went to a place called the Magic Island. Magic Island, for those who aren't from Houston, it was in its heyday one of the premier dinner theater venues in Houston that was an Egyptian themed building. On the top of the building was a giant Egyptian sphinx head staring down at the passing traffic off Highway 59. and. Uh, it was just a really, well, frankly, a very magical place. You felt like you were going back in time. And when you would go to Magic Island, it was initially a private club and everyone was kind of dressed to the nines, cocktail attire. 
and it was a fancy date night out, but my parents had arranged to take me there for my 13th birthday. You know, we wore our Sunday best and we were really excited and I got to witness close-up magic from a really skilled professional. Uh, Scott Hollingsworth is, was the entertainment director at Magic Island and he was working in one of the close-up rooms. And I think what was so mind-blowing was that he had a room of adults captivated with humble props, captivated with just a little a little bouncy ball or someone's borrowed finger ring or a simple shoelace or a pack of cards. And I thought, man, I have a shoelace at my house and I have a pack of cards at my house. And, you know, in my hands, they're just 52 pieces of paper that I play go fish with and I have a coffee stain on just occasionally. But in his hands, he is squeezing miracles out of that deck and he's bringing people to their feet and people are pulling their hair out and they're on edge and they're exploding with laughter and guffaw yeah. and they're gobsmacked and oh and I said wow the 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 barriers to entry what this taught me was that the barriers to entry to captivate a room are small they're very small you don't need to have the big boxes the laser lights the dancing girls the big lights the big production you could have a whole crowd of people eating out of the palm of your hand with humble props. And for me, that was very hypnotizing. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, but it was also, it, I don't know, it just, it really gave you the confidence to say, I could do that too. If I practice, if I had this, that's the same feeling I, I, I felt when I look at a piano hanging out. My, you know, my, my dad plays the piano. My sister took lessons at the piano. Uh, and I, I took lessons for one year in third grade and then I stopped, which is one of the biggest regrets I had in my life. So if anyone's listening and you're taking any music lessons, stick with it, please. Please stick it's with me. it. It's worth it. It's um, <laughs> but, you know, what I, what I appreciate about the piano, too, was, is how sim simple it is. It's just 88 keys. Some are black, some are white. But it's the way that you take that tool and you manipulate that tool creates it create, uh, you can do, you know, miracles with it. It sounds amazing. M uh, music can be so moving. But anyway, I'm kind of going off the rails here. But back to your question. So that was what really stuck with me. And then I went to Texas A&M University. You're right. I got my degree in biomedical science. Uh, I was a chemistry minor. I was a business minor. I had thought that I may, upon graduating, pursue a degree uh, take my degree either, you know, maybe go to med school, vet school, or dental school. That's where everyone else in my major was doing. I wasn't really sure that's what I wanted to pursue just yet. I did a summer internship doing pharmaceutical sales. And I thought, ah, oh, no, that's, that could be a job for me. I like to be active. I like to be mobile. I like to meet people face to face and have conversations. And I feel like I could be a good people person. I know the science. I have the, the, the showmanship, right? The, maybe the charm that might help with, help with you know, uh, with, with, with those sales, but, um, and I was pretty all on board that when I graduated in December of 2009, I would get a full-time job offer, and I didn't. And the economy was kind of in the tank, and they said, look, Ben, uh, you know, we can't give you a job. And I thought, wow, I was really putting a lot of stock into that. And I didn't take any entrance exams like an MCAT for medical school, so I thought, well, I, 
I'm just going to have to kind of figure things out. So I got a job January of 2010, such a crazy coincidence, but the Houston Museum of Natural Science was putting on an exhibit called Magic the Science of Wonder. And they were going to be showcasing not just magic props from the past, but they were also going to be showing um, live demonstrations of, of magic inside their exhibit. And I was able to contact the curator of the exhibit, send him some promotional video of me doing magic, and I secured a gig to work inside of the exhibit right after school, uh, you know, during doing magic during the day back then, 10 years ago, yeah. was uncommon. I mean, no one does magic during the day, at least at that point in my career. Um, now, when I do a lot of corporate conferences, they're usually weekday events. If I do trade shows, those are weekday events. But man, having an opportunity to be in front of an audience in the middle of the day and have a regular job hours from nine to five and then have my evenings free, that was a, that was a big velocity and I was so excited to do that because it gave me a lot of repetition, a lot of stage time. How did you um, keep up with it during school? Oh, well, yeah, well, certainly during school. I mean, I, I was practicing magic every day since I was a freshman in high school up until now. So I'm, I'm 34 years old, so I've been doing it for 19 years. Um, but, I, yeah, I never stopped. I mean, at, at Texas A&M, I would do events on campus all the time. I was the host for Parents Weekend doing the variety show on stage. I actually started a magic club called BAM, the Brotherhood of Aggie Magicians. That was fun. So we had guest lecturers and stuff. And then, but then after I graduated, I, I started performing magic um, as my vocation mm -hmm. and picking up corporate clients and just one event led to the next event, led to the next event, led to the next event. And, and, uh, and then I was entering into a lot of magic competitions um, at that time. Yes, wizard duels are real. Wizard duels do exist. And was able to win some international awards, one of them being the World Magic Seminar in Las Vegas in 2010. I won first place for the adult close-up magic category. In that same year, the winner of the teenage close-up award was Shin Lim from America's Got Talent. Oh, so wow. I've known Shin for certainly a, a number of, gosh, yeah, past 11 years. So uh, good friends. But yeah, I, I would I kind of add those line items to my resume and kept on building my career from there. So it's so cool. Thank, thanks for sharing. Sure. How do you, one thing that stuck out that I thought was really cool is uh, your impression when you went to that uh, show when you were 13 and you picked up on like how little or how small of an item the guy, uh, I don't remember his name, needed to Scott, captivate yeah. to captivate an audience. So how, how did that kind of influence your own like perception and thinking about like life afterwards? Like, do you now look at things, even small things as possibilities, as opportunities and different things like that? Like somebody might look at like a, a shoestring and not even like have a thought, oh, I could do a magic with that. Yeah. Or, or even just outside of the realm of, or the world of magic, when you look at, you know, when you're trying to solve some kind of problem or some issue, I almost feel, it seems like you're, you're just um, 
psychology, your way to approach different problems is you you you, will look, you can look at small details, and and uh... yeah, I, I, you know it's interesting the way magicians think. There's my my friend Ben Whiting, who's a he's a keynote speaker and fellow magician. He he says it pretty succinctly. He says that uh, most people when they come across a problem that they can't solve, they say it's impossible. That's where they stop. Yeah. They say, I can't figure this out. But for the magician, that's where they start. Yeah. They think of the impossible and then they figure it out. Um, and it is so interesting because people say, well, how do you come up with new routines? How do you come up with new ideas? And it is a mindset to think about impossible things, things that never were or couldn't be, and then to bring them into a theatrical reality that the audience can appreciate. And it is, it is interesting to think about, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if dot, 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 fill in the blank, and then start to reverse engineer how it could be done. So I'll, I will tell you, I mean, it's not to be braggadocious, but some of the most clever, brilliant people I know are magicians. I mean, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I know a lot of people, and I, I mean, I'm, again, from my medical background, I know some brilliant people in that, in that field too. Uh, some of my friends who are, now I will probably reach out for medical questions, and, and they're no less brilliant, but man, as far as cleverness, and adapting it man, man magic is it's like how really do they really approach cool. how do you that's i i i love and how i wanted to bring it in i love how it's, this is the conversation is flowing is really that that approach to 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 life and the perception because it's not just with magic but when somebody you know is trying to solve some kind of seemingly problem in their life you know, being able to look at the look at possibilities, mm -hmm. and and like you said, look at the impossible and de deconstruct it. It's really just also just a healthy way uh, to to live. Can you can you touch a little bit more on just how does a magician think? Yeah. Um, well, I think that we we have to think very practically. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a perception that with magic, um, maybe uh, when something miraculous happens, it's a fluke. It, it, it just, you just got lucky that night. He, he just so happened to know what I was thinking. Um, but magicians have, are, are very well thought out and are very practical. We have to ensure that whatever trick that we're doing, it has to work night after night, event after event, gig after gig. I mean, it's so, it's so funny. Some people will come up to me and they say, you know, I bet, I bet that um, every night of the week, when you ask somebody to name a card, like tonight I thought of the Three of Diamonds, Magic Man, but I bet every night of the week, the Three of Diamonds is always set and that's how you do your trick. That's just the most popular card, it's, it's psychology. And magicians are practical, and we know that we're not real mind readers. We know that we don't have real powers. 
So we're very kind of humble in that. We know that we don't have real gifts, but we do have the ability to create predictable, predictable outcomes night after night to ensure a magical moment. Um, you know, th th there's, I mean, I don't want to give too much away as far as, you know, methods of magic, um, but, but there is a method for uh, multiple outs. So this might be this might be of multiple interest to outs. Yeah, multiple outs. Okay. If if I said that to a magician, he'd be like, oh yeah. If I said, hey, how how was that done? What what's your method? He's like, oh, it's multiple outs. Oh, okay, got it. But what does that mean? So what what that means is is I'm able to steer the conclusion of an effect based upon the audience's input. So for example. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but but basically, here's a here's a way without giving too much away. Um, you are prepared for any situation. Yeah, fluid, so you can be really fluid. Yes, and I can land the plane and create the impression that that is the desired effect that I had all the while. So I think that a practical application is that magicians are very prepared. We have worst case scenarios in our mind and we kind of have like a flow chart in our mind. If this happens, then this happens. If this happens, then this happens. And so we're kind of prepared for everything while at the same time coming off as uh, carefree or this happens every night or, oh, was that a mistake? And some people really don't know. Was he joking with us? Was he, was he, was he being sincere? And, uh, but really, you, you, hear, you hear this a lot from stand-up comedians too. Stamp comedians or, um, or, or people who are in live shows where it's the impression of being improv and off the cuff, but it's not. It's completely scripted. They know where they're going. And, and I think that magicians have that unique ability to, to create the desired effect in the audience's mind when you have all the solutions available to you and uh, and you're just prepared, yeah. you know, you're prepared. So it seems like it's also as much as the pre or in aligned or balanced with all the preparation. It's also that that ability to just go with the flow. It reminds me of a story I heard one I love uh, about Winston Marsalis, the Trump, uh, I believe it's trumpet. Uh, when he was doing a performance once in like a live audience and somebody's, it was like very quiet and somebody's cell phone uh, went off and, you know, he, the guy like quickly got up and left, but it like stopped. Everybody was like, <gasps> and the, he stopped a performance, but instead of like getting angry and yelling at the person or, you know, sorry folks, this end of our show or all the different ways that would be considered understandable Instead, mm -hmm. he, he, you know, he stopped, but then he started like playing the, the sound of the person's uh, cell phone ring and oh. slowly brought it back into the song that he was playing. And so it was like, it's something you can't, you, you like, like what you're doing, you're playing with the, the audience and it's, it ends up what looked at, what could be looked at as an interruption ended up making the whole performance even be better than somebody could have imagined. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, you're taking advantage of the moment. Something that has happened that you can't replicate. I, I got a great story about this. 
please. <laughs> Taking advantage of, 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 of moments and seizing the opportunity. So um, when I was a freshman at A&M, I was quickly known as the magic guy on campus. It's like, ah, there's Ben. And you probably wouldn't be able to find, you wouldn't be able to find me without a deck of cards in my hand. You know, I was always practicing, always working. It helped you at parties, huh? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Getting the girls. (laughs) Hey, that's right. That's right. And and I knew, this is, here's something about how magicians think. Um, We will plan in advance, way, 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 way in advance for an opportunity to arise and when it arises, you are ready to give someone a moment that they'll never forget. That will just be impossible, but you prepared for it in advance. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I was walking around campus, uh, a lot of people, when they found out I was a magician, they would always go to me and they would say, hey, Ben, hey, Ben, you know that guy, David Blaine, that magician on TV, David Blaine, he does the trick where a card appears on the outside of the glass. Yeah. Can you do that trick? And I would always say, in my mind, I know how the method is done. It's like, well, you need to have another card, a duplicate card, already posted on the outside of the glass. And, and I'm like, well, you know, sure, but, and they're like, well, can you do it? Can you do it? And I, well, you know, I, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for that. So I said, okay, well, enough of that. I'm gonna be, pre- I'm gonna be prepared wherever I go. So I went back to my dorm. There was kind of a common area in our dorm and I posted a couple of, I don't know, like a, like a three of hearts on the outside of the glass. Now, if you didn't know it was there and you were in the common area of that dorm and you looked out, uh, because one of the walls was a glass wall, you probably wouldn't recognize it. You wouldn't really see it because you're not looking for it. But it, there it was, there's a three of hearts on the outside of the glass hidden, hidden in plain sight. And it stayed there for months, for months. And months later, one of the resident directors asked me to do a magic show for my dorm. And we just so happened to be in the area where that glass wall was and that three of hearts was posted on the outside. It was dark. You, now it it was, you, you couldn't see through the window. It was just kind of more opaque. And I'm about to do my last trick. This, is, this goes back to your Winston Marsalis story. I'm about to do my last trick where I magically reveal a spectator's thought of card. I'm gonna reveal it in a clever way. And I have my deck of cards ready to go because I have in my mind how I'm gonna do the trick. So I asked some guy, sir, you can think of any card Red, black, hearts, clubs, spades, or diamonds, picture card or number card, one out of the 52, what card would you like? And he says, uh, I don't know, the uh, three of hearts. Yeah. Now, he's not set up, he's not a plant, he's not a confederate, he's not a stooge, he's a genuine spectator. And in that moment, it clicked in my mind, oh my goodness, I have prepared for this moment. You created that whole experience, my friend. (laughs) L, O, O. And so now I'm able to put my deck of cards down, what I was going to do, and I dismissed it. And I said, you know what's so crazy? You're not going to believe this. 
but when I snap my fingers, your card is going to appear. I snap my fingers, I pointed to that spot on the glass wall, and everyone saw the three of hearts, and I'm telling you, Solomon, the room erupted. It erupted, pandemonium, mayhem. People were losing their mind, and, they, and it just was like, it became legendary. You created a legendary reputation. You know, and uh, it was hilarious, but it was preparation for that moment. There's another story, a very famous magician um, from the turn of the century, a guy named Max Molini, who uh, once spotted a, um, a statesman, uh, maybe a senator. I think he was from New York. He, he's, he found his senator and uh, he went to a, oh yeah, that's right. I'm getting ahead of myself. One day, Max Molini went to his tailor to get one of his jackets altered. And as he was waiting in line, he couldn't help but notice that in the queue for alterations was a jacket. And on, the, on that jacket was a tag, an identification tag. Who did this jacket belong to? And he noticed that, oh, this is from one of our state senators. One of these days, I'm gonna see this person and I'm gonna perform for this very important you know, official. And so Max Molini bribed the tailor to say, hey, I need you, and he gave him a playing card. He said, I need you to open up the lining of that man's jacket, and I want you to sew this card into the lining of his jacket. And he did. And sure enough, later, later, he was able to run into that senator who had me wearing that altered jacket and, and gave him an experience where the card vanished from the deck, take off your jacket, cut open the lining of your coat, and it was inside the jacket. So it, it's, it's, it's funny that we, we prepare for these moments, moments that cannot be explained. Um, That's the thing that's so cool. It, it's more so than the trick itself. It's, it how it, it's how it all materializes into that that moment, how you in school, it, you know, the, you have it there for months and the, the trick was there for months in advance. And then, you know, the, the dorm counselor sends up saying, you know, can you give a show and everything just unfolds better than you could have imagined. And it's, it's what I've learned that you can apply it to visualization and meditation and how I uh, will talk about it and have learned with the, or um, how I'll teach it to individuals with meditation, because you are rehearsing something that you want to experience, uh, you know, how in your life. And it's almost like what, that's exactly what you and that ex uh, story that you were sharing did. It's like you're preparing for something, you know, it's going to happen. And it's not like, well, if this happens, it's like you are prepared for when it happens, whenever it may be. And it's just, it's so, so cool. Thanks for, uh, sharing those stories. Oh yeah. I mean, and there's, and there's another, another theory about, um, about magic. That's kind of interesting that may lead you down the garden path to create those moments of, of magic, um, by planting the seed in someone else's mind. So there's a, there's a theory in magic called the ham sandwich theory of magic. I think you'll appreciate this. So imagine two guys walking down the street. One guy 
turns to the other guy and he says, hey, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. And then the magician produces a ham sandwich. That's a pretty good trick. It's pretty good, right? But it's a whole other sack of potatoes. If two guys are walking down the street, one guy says, man, I'm really hungry. I could go for a ham sandwich. And then the magician produces a ham sandwich, right? And uh, achieving that clarity of effect, sometimes what magicians will do is we will plant the seed in the pe people's minds mm -hmm. for them to ask us to do something when we are prepared to do that very thing. So for example, if I said, um, if I showed you a $1 bill and I said, you know, I'm, I can really, I can do anything with this $1 bill. What do you want me to do with it? Now, nine times out of 10, someone might say, turn it into a hundred. Yeah. And then the magician has to be an actor. What? Turn it, turn it into a hundred. Are you nuts? I mean, come on. I, I'm not, I'm not the U S mint here. I mean, that's, I can't, let me see what I can do. And now this seemingly just total request has become a miracle moment, but we are prepared to do that very thing. We can either steer the conversation that way, or even if they don't say that request, you can, you can, uh, you can come about it in a, in a, in a unique way. There, there's another, um, gosh, there's another way, another uh, story with that too, uh, is, uh, oh yeah, there's, there's a great, another card routine where um, essentially you come to the conclusion of an effect and a card is destroyed. Uh, it's ripped up into four pieces, but somehow even though the card has been ripped up into four pieces, it has changed into a different card. And, and it's, it's a really stunning trick and, and that in and of itself could be the end. This ripped up card that you saw was the Ace of Hearts you now turn those pieces back over and now they're the four pieces for the jack of spades, right? They've changed. And there was a great bit of psychology I read from this German magician. He said uh, to be prepared for that moment, just to turn those pieces over and just kind of settle in and say, ta-da. And that's a good trick in and of itself, but to be quiet, mm -hmm. to then stop talking and then if you do, and you assemble those four pieces kind of close to each other, you're gonna create the seed to plant in the spectator's mind for them to say, well, can you, uh, could, you uh, could you put those pieces back together and make a whole card? You know, but just, just by the impression, just by suggest, you're not even saying it, but you're just kind of placing them there, and then you go quiet, and, and then they say, well, oh, wow, could, 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 you, uh, could, could you put it back together? But you're already, you're already ready for that. Yeah. So I, I love sometimes how magicians think we, we, it's probably, one, and I've said this in my TED talk before, but it's probably one of the most empathetic art forms. Mm -hmm. Magicians are constantly, constantly putting ourselves in the shoes of our audience. We're always thinking, what are they gonna see? What are are they going to experience? Does my storyline make sense? Do you think they're going to request anything? Can I, can I suggest something to them? You know, um, 
So that's uh, all those things wrapped up into one, but it, it, it is really clever to get, get inside the mind of uh, magicians. <laughs> how, do, how do you get into the present moment and, and draw your audience there? Oh, uh, well, um, very simple. I, I know that the greatest gift that somebody can give you is their time. Uh, time is the most precious resource anybody can give you because it's a finite resource. We only have so much of it, and when it's gone, it's gone. And I know that especially, especially when I put on my monthly show at the Four Seasons, I know that I am in the present moment because of the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is these people paid to come to see you. They made the babysitting arrangements. They drove through Houston traffic. They made it to downtown. They valeted their car. They, you know, they bought tickets ahead of time before they sold out. They got dressed to the nines and now it's their date night. Maybe it's their big night out, you know, and it, and you owe it to them to be on to be alive, to be in the present moment. I think by the sheer, uh, by, by, I, I don't want to say pressure of the moment, but if you don't feel a sense of pressure in a, in a good way to deliver and to give people the best experience you know how, then I don't think you should be performing, quite frankly. I mean, it's kind of a disrespect to your audience. Uh, and so that really kind of shoots through my bones pretty quickly when I go, man, don't phone it in. Don't get lazy, don't get casual, because you know sometimes um, repetition and frequency will do that to performers. They will not give their show the same level of energy, drive, enthusiasm, and pretend as though this is the first time I'm ever saying this. You know, I think that there's performers like, um, like Matt King out in Las Vegas, who does a residency show at Harrah's Casino and Hotel, and Mac is this, his character is a Kentucky country bumpkin. He wears a plaid suit. He pretends like he's the stupidest person in the room, but really he's, he's silly smart. He's very, very smart. Um, but every time he performs, what I can admire about Mac King is that he comes out of the gate full of energy, full of the present moment, and knowing that his audience is there to see him, and when he's saying his lines, he says them. He says them in such a way that it sounds like it's the first time he's ever said that. It's the first time, quote unquote, something's gone wrong, and you believe it, you know. And and, and I won't name names, but there are other probably more more well-known magicians that um, that people might recognize off the street. But if you go see them perform live, they've done so many shows. They've they've kind of been burned out yeah. and uh, I think the way that you get there is that you owe your audience your best you owe them your best and um, so anyway that's how I stay in the present moment a lot to learn as well because just being able to approach every seemingly similar situation in a new way because you know like the old adage says no man steps in the same river twice for it's not the same river nor the uh nor the same man so it's really cool how like um that uh, first name you mentioned was is able to to
to get in that state of fresh and newness. There's a, I really appreciate you taking the, the time to speak with me. I, I really do think there's a lot to learn from a magician like yourself in how you, appro how you approach your skill and your craft, as well as how do you approach life because magic and that state that of wonder that it puts us into really is beneficial for our whole health. So thank you, Ben. How can people uh, get a hold of you, go to your monthly show and uh, all that good keeping up with Ben Jackson stuff? Yeah, well, well thanks for having me on, Solomon. Um, the short answer is benjacksonmagic.com. benjacksonmagic.com is my website that has all the information for corporate bookings, private events, and our monthly residency show at the Four Seasons Hotel, which we've been doing for five years now, and we're looking to resume them sometime this year as things are getting better and we can see a light at the end of the tunnel concerning the pandemic, so we're excited about that. Um, but yeah, I think that is one of the biggest goals of, of one of the biggest um, gifts that a magician can give somebody is that the magician can give someone the reminder of that the world is filled with possibilities. Yeah. And the magician can remind people in a visual metaphor that what you thought was impossible, that, that thing that can't be done, can be done. And, and it can be so profound can be a very profound metaphor to see something that you know can't be done you know that's impossible and that's what the magician in society can remind you is that nothing's impossible um, and so with that I, I think it's great I think it goes into determining your purpose and how you can fill people up with the gift that you've that you've been given and uh, that's a fun part of the job awesome thank you so much it's been a pleasure I really I thoroughly enjoyed this Good, man. Right back at you. Thanks for having me on. For sure. Thank you very much for tuning in and listening. I hope this episode brought you some really great value. If you enjoyed any of these episodes or would like to hear more, please leave me a review on Apple or Anchor Podcast. I'm always looking out for topics to learn and talk about, gifts to share, and value to bring to us all. For more updates, please check out SolomonEzra.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N-E-Z-R-A. That's where you can si also sign up for newsletters, read about blogs, and hear my different podcasts. Take care.